Hi, this is Calvin. And this is Wayne. And you are listening to the official podcast of the Christian Manifesto. This is our first episode, so we want to thank all of you for tuning in. And uh, we're not actually going to call it the official podcast of the Christian Manifesto. That's just what we're calling it now. We're actually running a, a contest for someone to name our podcast, because we think uh, the official podcast of the Christian Manifesto is kind of a lame name, don't you think so? I, I think that's actually a pretty good name. Uh, that's the one I submitted. Kind of disappointed that we can't use that one. You can't submit it. You're on staff. Well, apparently we wouldn't use it anyway, so... Yeah, okay. <laughs> you guys will get that later. Um, but for those of you who are listening, we are running a contest for you guys to actually name our podcast, and... Uh, if you send in your votes to uh, the Christian Manifesto at gmail.com, or you can leave a comment on one of our posts. We're going to have a post up really soon uh, announcing that uh, that contest. But the winner uh, that we pick will get to name our podcast, obviously, and they will also win a package of books and CDs from us. So uh, you never know what's going to come in that pack. You don't know what's going to come in that package. We get a lot of review materials. Um, and a lot of stuff that's not out yet, so you will definitely, if you win, uh, get something really cool from us. So but, it's it's basically one of those grab bags from the thrift store. You don't really know what you're going to get, but it's always worth getting. At a thrift store, it's all, like, crappy stuff, though. Like, I mean, this is stuff that I still want to keep, but I'm like, I'll give it away because I'm going to get more stuff anyway. So I, I like thrift store bags. I wasn't mocking them. Oh, okay. 69 cents of toys. Well, I guess I'm, I'm one of those real high-end people, so uh, I don't really like thrift stores. You're up there at garage sales? Yeah, definitely uh, not a thrift store person. Uh, we're we're going to be talking about some of the news that you've already seen on, on the website. We'll kind of comment on that, and me and, me and Wayne will go back and forth, and we'll kind of give our own two cents on on books and, and on music, because you, you only see the written review. And it's usually by me, sometimes by Wayne, but uh, we tend to disagree on a lot of things. Well, let, I mean, let's be honest. I think you've chosen not to post more of my reviews than you've actually posted, so... Or at least half and half. It's because Wayne is so mean. I, I am mean. But, again, I don't know, I feel stuff should like be up to the level of you know where God is if it's worshiping God. <laughs> I don't know. I'll be mean. I'll be the, the what, Simon what, of the who show. Who is somebody out there who's up to the level of God? Well, not on par with God, but on par with, like, worshipping God. I like David. His psalms are good. I, I guess David's all right. That's a good, that's I, good. I've heard better, personally. Solomon. I, I think Solomon was Solomon way Solomon gets creepy at times. He does. He does. I mean, sleeping with 700 women will do that to you. It's a little weird. Those are just his wives. All right, so we're going to go ahead and we're going to comment on some news that has been uh, that we've been putting up on the website. And one of the news stories that we're going to look at is should Christians use violent video games to lure teens to church? And we uh, we connected to an article in the the Baptist Standard that uh, talked about how churches are using video games like uh, Halo Three and Grand Theft Auto to lure teens to their youth groups and into their churches. Uh, what do you think about that, Wayne? Well, I mean, this was probably the most interesting article that I've read in a while because I'm not only really into youth ministry, uh, seeing that's what I want to go into with my career, but I'm also, I play video games a lot. And uh, I felt, I don't know, it made some valid points and it overstated a lot of things. Um, I, I don't necessarily think it's wrong to uh, 
for Christians to play violent video games. That was insinuated some within the article, um, that it, you know, pollutes their minds in some ways. Um, I don't know. What do you, I, I don't think we've actually talked about this before. What do you think about that? Well, it's funny because I guess I never really thought about it. I never thought that it could uh, lead, I never thought there'd be like any type of spiritual disconnect. Because, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, being, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, and then you're, you know, you're sniping your friend's head from a thousand yards, you know, you know, headshots for Jesus, basically. And I used to do video game parties all the time, and as a, you know, a matter of fact, here at our school, we attend Rochester College in Rochester Hills, Michigan. We, from time to time, have video game parties in our, in our library here, and we do a lot of things where there are games that are, are pretty violent, but I never thought about you know, the the spiritual impl- implications of, of playing those kind of games. Well, and I really wonder how connected, you know, video game reality and actual reality is. Because, I mean, although it seems like they would be connected, you know, if you're good at killing people online or on video games, you might actually be, you know, tempted or willing to kill someone in real life. But, I don't, I don't know, this is something I've been looking at for years, and there's no connection in any, like, psychological studies or anything. Well, I know the military uses video games to train their soldiers, so... That's true, and yeah, and they mentioned that in the article. But, I mean, what's the extreme that you can go to? Because, um, when I was younger, I remember I had some neighbors who weren't allowed to play Super Mario Brothers because the father believed that once you die, that's it. And, you know, you know once you die, that's... And then the judgment. And that's what scripture says. And so he thought, well, if you have more than one chance, if you get to have, you know, extra lives or whatever, because Mario, you can get all the mushrooms and get one-ups and all those things. And if you could start the game over, it was basically preaching reincarnation. So, I mean, what's what's an extreme that... Uh, that seems extreme. But yeah. at the same time, the question that's raised by this is, you know, are we tacitly telling people that violence is is okay? Well, then you would have to say the same thing about any sort of kid's game. I mean, video or board games or just pretend. I mean, you'd have to say, you know, maybe our kids shouldn't be playing cops and robbers or cowboys and Indians in the front yard. Or, you know, maybe we shouldn't play Monopoly because, you know, that encourages capitalism and greed and uh, taking advantage of people. I don't know. I don't really think the role-playing aspects of games carry over nearly as much into our actual decisions as this article assumes. Okay. Well, all right, we're going to move on. Oh, I did want to mention one other thing on that. Okay. Although I, although I don't necessarily agree with their take on how much video games affect us, I did think it made sense. These kids aren't allowed to buy these video games themselves. It's against the law. So why should they be allowed to play them in church? I mean, maybe... I don't think the church is necessarily the place to be condoning these kinds of things. And I remember when I was 14, I would not have been allowed to play this anywhere except for church. Okay. So. All right, next thing we're going to look at is a news piece that talks about a film that explores Christian views on homosexuality. Uh, There's a documentary coming out, or it's actually already out. We're not sure if it's out on DVD yet, but we'd definitely like to get it so we could review it here at the Christian Manifesto. But it's called For the Bible Tells Me So, and it, it explores uh, the question of, can homosexuality and Christianity coexist? Uh, does the Bible condemn same-sex relationships, or do verses that seem to address the subject apply only in the historical context of the time? Um, there were kind of mixed reviews on this film of people that watched it. Uh, some were saying that Christians were portrayed negatively, while those who were uh, pro-homosexual 
pro-homosexual lifestyle or pro-embracing uh, those who are of a homosexual lifestyle um, as, you know, kind of the heroes of this film. Kind of in the same vein as a Jesus film or, or Jesus, I'm sorry, Jesus Camp or uh, Hard as Nails documentaries that have come out in recent in recent days. Um, so we can't really pass judgment on it because we haven't seen it ourselves. I'm really interested in watching it. Uh, what are your thoughts on on this issue, on on the issue of homosexuality and, and Christianity? Can they coexist? Well, that's a that's a really loaded question that we probably don't <laughs> have time to discuss right now. Um, I mean, in short, I feel you know Christianity should. I mean, Christianity, Christ's message is open to all people and all sinners. That said, I don't necessarily feel there's anywhere in the Bible that condones homosexuality or homosexual lifestyle. Um, what really struck me about this film, though, again, we haven't seen it, so mm-hmm. I would, I would probably know a lot more about it if we had seen the film. But it sounds like it contrasts or pits evangelist preachers, um, especially you know the more extreme preachers, mm-hmm. against the quote unquote theologians and you know the ones who've done the exegesis, the ones that have done the study of the scripture, and basically setting up so the preachers say one thing and those who study the scripture say the other. In my experience, there's more of a middle ground. You know, the scholars agree with the preachers, and neither one is quite as black and white as this film seems to depict it. Okay. I know that they're, uh, they're kind of vicious with uh, Dr. James Dobson, which is interesting. Uh, Dobson runs a ministry that basically de-gays people, or uh, takes the gay out and, and encourages people who struggle with homosexual feelings to... Uh, live a normal lifestyle and, and get married and, and have heterosexual uh, partners. And obviously, I, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm very evangelical, so I agree with that point of view. And a lot of people say that that's very uh, detrimental. Actually, one of the books that I'm going to comment on in a little bit uh, kind of talks and, and tackles this subject because uh, the, the science is kind of inconclusive uh, as to whether someone can be uh, changed in their sexual orientation or not, and what does that mean for us as Christians? Why does the Bible call something sin if you're born that way? And so it's one of those tough questions that that I struggle with as a as a believer. How do I address this topic of homosexuality? Well, regardless of your you know your view or your theology on the matter, you got to admit that Dobson's doing a lot more in the fact that he's actually trying to help people change rather than some of the other evangelists that they mention who just say, you know, change or burn basically. At least he's acting on his beliefs and making it available rather than just guilting people and pushing it further. Well, some people would say that that's even more dangerous. Like hate speech, it's it's one thing to say I hate, you know, X group. It's another thing entirely to say I hate X group and let's go out and kill them all. And so you've got your people on your your television evangelists who say homosexuality is a sin and that's as far as it goes. And then you have James Dobson who says, well, homosexuality is a sin. Let's de-gay these people. Some people think that that kind of thing is tantamount to psychological terrorism if you're changing how God made them. Now, I don't believe God makes people gay, or if they're born gay, that that's an effect of the fall. That's just my, my evangelical standpoint on that. But there's that, that viewpoint that you're doing more damage by trying to de-gay someone than you are just saying homosexuality is a sin. They don't. I would say that homosexual groups don't like either, but if they had to pick between the two... Now, I would pick the, the television evangelist over the James Dobsons if I felt James Dobson was more dangerous. Where, again, it really, 
comes down to your view on whether it's sin or something genetic, you know, because again, it's like saying it's okay to, you know, try to help someone that's addicted to alcohol or something, get someone out of alcoholism or dr- drug addiction or substance abuse, but it would be wrong to try to convert people from, you know, being bipolar or something. Either way, every other psychological disorder is treated and addressed. I guess we're not allowed to call it that anymore, but that's only in the past couple of decades. Right. So we should probably delete that. I'm sorry for being politically incorrect. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, we're done with the news, so we're going to take a small break, and we'll be back in just a moment. And then we're going to start talking about some uh, some CD reviews, and then we'll get into some book reviews. And just uh, just so you guys know, as kind of our first official podcast, we recently sat down with some of the people on the For the Love of the Game tour, um, we sat down with Pillar, we sat down with uh, Brooke Barrett-Smith, and we sat down with Waverly, and we're going to bring you our exclusive interview with them at the end of this podcast. All right, we'll be right back. And we are back. By we, I mean me and me and Wayne. Say hi, Wayne. Hello again. You sound so enthused to be here. Yeah, well, just I'm, my mind's still on that last song that was just played. Yeah, it was an amazing song. What, wasn't whatever it? it might have been, I enjoyed it. Yes, uh, I will enjoy it. At the time of the recording of this, we have not picked the song that you just heard, so we hope you enjoyed it. Um, it may have been. A soft song. It may have been a, a, a loud rocking song. Uh, we haven't picked it yet. I hope it had soft and loud parts. You think it, uh, Those are my favorite loud? songs. What about Nicole Nordeman? There's not really any. Mm. So what what do we have to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> what, what CD should we start? All with? right, we're gonna we're gonna start off talking about uh, this Mile Seven CD. It's Good. called Afterglow. Uh, Mile Seven. For those of you who have not heard of them, are an independent band, and uh, I really like their music a lot. Uh, I really don't. And so we're gonna we're gonna talk about our differences here. Actually, um, I had Wayne write a review of of their music, and I had already told the the lead singer of the band that I was interested in his music. I liked it a lot, uh, but that I was passing off uh, most of my reviews to other people who were more musically inclined than I am. Uh, not that I'm not musically inclined. Most of the uh, reviews on the website are written by me. But <laughs> Don't uh, believe the ones with Kelvin's name on them. <laughs> so you can't believe uh, 95% of the music reviews you read on our site. Just kidding. Um, but uh, Wayne originally reviewed it, and what, what did you think about it? Why, why did you not like it? Well, it had, it had potential. Like, the opening 30, 45 seconds of the first track, I really enjoyed. It had this kind of... Mute Math meets David Crowder feel to it. Um, unfortunately, even before the end of the song, I was already sick of it. It just, it lacked depth, it lacked originality. Lyrically, I felt it was weak. I mean, they sounded like a, they sound like a youth group band. Um, they're, I mean, I'm sure they're probably playing camps and doing well, and I, I, I'm sure that they have good intentions, and I really see a lot of potential in them. But to be honest, it was weak. It it could have been a lot better. It was like, I don't know, have you ever, like, 
tried, like, you thought you had a, a glass of Sprite in front of you, and you take a big gulp of it, and you realize that it's water? Has well, that happened to you? I, it has, but I, I didn't think that that was a good analogy for Mile 7's music. That was the exact experience I had. It was the first thing that popped into my head. It was like, wow, this could have been so much better than what it was. And maybe that's maybe that's why I came across so harsh on it, because, I mean, it's not terrible. It's just there. It's bland. I mean, I will admit, okay, it's kind of been done before. I mean, there, it's like Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. But they really reminded me of of Delirious. And I'm abs- I mean, Delirious kind of started the worship craze that everybody's on right now. We always think of Passion and Hillsong nowadays. Uh, but even before Delirious, there was Maranatha. But anyway, uh, Delirious started the whole modern worship craze, and I feel like Mile 7 really just kind of picked up on that and that they've got, I mean, from the packaging to the sound, they displayed a, a large measure of professionalism. I just thought they were they were great. And I thought their lyrics were well thought out. I thought they were deep. I, I thought the, the musicianship was excellent. I thought the production was great. I just didn't find much to, to complain about here. You, you really like the lyrics? I mean, for instance, on the song We Are Alive, the chorus has the exact same lyrics as the verse. You have to be able to write better lyrics than that. Yes, I like the packaging, and that's part of the reason I expected so much out of it. And yeah, they did sound kind of like Delirious. But is it really a big accomplishment to start to get to the level of the people that started this modern rock worship movement? I mean, that was ten years ago. You should probably progress more. Well, I, I, I hope the, they will. I think the music was progressive. I'm not saying they remind me of Cutting Edge Delirious so much as they remind me of, uh, you know, uh, Mesamorphosis or, uh, you know, some of their later stuff that's okay. come out. Um, I just think that in terms of their artistic expression, they reminded me of Delirious, where it's not your typical classic Christian hymns. You can tell that it's worship, but it's not, you know, read out of a hymnal. Right, so, which... I, I can appreciate that. I wouldn't listen to this CD more than the couple times I had to, that I was forced to. But at the same time, I like the idea. They seem like they have some talent. Basically, I'm just really hoping that they put a lot more effort and thought and work into their next album. And I would love to hear what these guys do in the future. I really would. Just right. this CD doesn't well, do anything. Well, fair enough. Uh, I give it a thumbs up. You give it a thumbs down. Uh, we just agree to disagree on this one. I really like Mile 7, and I think you're wrong. That's okay. Um, but here's an album that I, I want everyone to go out and buy. Uh, I mean, I want you to pause the podcast and run out and buy this album right away. Or while you're listening to the podcast, download it on iTunes. I want you to go get Kevin Max's album, The Blood. It is absolutely phenomenal. What did you think of it? I agree. Um, it's the best the best Christian CD I've heard in months. It's probably the best CD period I've heard in at least weeks. Now, what's cool about this album is it's, it's a cover album. Right? He says it's not a cover album, but it is a cover album. None of the songs are written by Kevin Max on this album. Uh, they're all gospel standards uh, that kind of stand at the root of rock and roll and jazz and blues, and that's kind of where he's coming from with this. Yeah, and I mean, it's a cover album, but he does more than just reproduce the songs, which is good, because a lot of these songs were written decades ago, and are, I mean, there's plenty of recordings of these songs available. What makes this stand out is it's got that specific Kevin Max feel to it. I 
and really starting to get into folk music, um, especially like, you know, the historical church songs and stuff like that of the past hundred years. And I think this is like a culmination of everything that's good about that kind of music. Plus, I mean, that second track has all of DC Talk on it. The Cross. And it just, just listening to that, yeah, listening to The Cross brought back memories of my childhood. I mean, I'll admit, after listening to this, I set aside all the rest of my music and threw in Supernatural and just listened through that album. <laughs> that's, uh, that's our take on Kevin Max's The Blood. We're going to move on. Uh, the next album we're going to talk about here is New World Sun. I also I wrote a review of this. I thought it was great. Uh, my one fear about the, it, It's kind of like what I said it was, was uh, Christian Music meets Bourbon Street. It really is a blues album. And it's really, really good. Well, yeah, I can't imagine that this sound is going to, or that this album is going to really get much attention. Um, it's not pop. It's not trendy. It's actually getting a lot of attention, though. Really? Yeah, I mean, the W's got a lot of attention. And Burlap to Cashmere got a lot of attention. It's just a matter of, after is it going to be a flash in the pan, or is anybody going to run out and get you know the second album when it comes out? Well, I mean, I admit... I didn't like it that much. It was good, I mean, for what they were trying to do, but when even in the blues gospel sound, I mean, after listening to Kevin Max, I really appreciated that more, maybe because it was more accessible to me, someone that's not as familiar with the genre. Um, but it was good. I I hope, I think there's a big difference between Burlap, and Ka- Burlap to Cashmere and the W's, and that is the W's came in in this middle of that, that swing craze, and they really capitalized on the trend where Burlap to Cashmere was never trendy. But going back and listening to that, it's still good music. Yeah. And even if these guys never really get the attention they probably deserve, I think this CD will still hold up. And if you like the CD now, you'll like it 10, even probably 20 years from now. Because for what they're doing, it's quality music. I'd really like to see these guys live. I've never seen a band with a stand-up bass play Actually, one of our music videos of the day is New World Sun. The interesting thing about them is... While they might not catch on, in the, they might catch on early and flash out in uh, Christian venues. Uh, I think they've got a ton of crossover appeal because blues music, jazz music, um, roots music is um, first and foremost very, very, very spiritual. Mm-hmm. And so they can go out there and they can sing about Jesus in all of these secular venues without people batting an eye at it because that's part of the genre. And so I think I think they have a lot of potential. I think this is a great album. And I would love to see more of them in the Christian market. I would love to see the Christian market branch out and experiment a little bit more with music like this and other forms of music that we haven't heard yet. Um, but I, I'm just worried that they won't be around for a long time. Yeah, I really, again, I hope if it picks up, if if this continues to get the attention it probably deserves, then I think a lot of cool things could happen in Christian music over the next couple of years. Let's just hope we don't make the same mistakes we've made in the past. All right, cool. Well, that's all we have to say about uh, music. We'll be right back in just a second, and then we're going to start talking about some books. Talk to you in a minute. There's a train leaving from Calvary, and it's going to Salvation Station. There's a train leaving from Calvary, and it's going the Salvation Station I'm gonna jump that train Gonna jump that train Gonna jump that train Whoa, glory, Gonna jump that train I'm gonna jump that train now We're gonna reach Salvation Station in the sky Yeah, yeah 
welcome back. Um, hope you enjoyed that track, even though we have no idea what it was. That was my favorite so far. <laughs> really? I'm not You liked sure. it better than the last track that we didn't know it, it was? It was significantly later in the show. It was. It was. We're almost done now. We're coming into the home stretch here. At least we are. I mean, uh, the listeners still got quite a bit to go because we got all the interview stuff and everything that we already recorded. Those lucky listeners. Those lucky listeners. You guys could just skip right past this section and go right towards the end and listen to the to the interviews if you want, but... That'd be really a jerktacular thing to do, don't you think? See, this is why we need radio and not podcasts, so they can't skip over all the parts where I talk. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, if I were uh, listening to this podcast, I would probably skip your voice, too. Oh, I would have already skipped. I I would just skip around to the songs, because I've really enjoyed those so far. Really? I'm not sure. (laughs) What books do you have there? All right, anyway. uh, First book we're going to talk about, uh, by my favorite author on the planet. Uh, No, no, it's not my favorite author on the planet, but one of my favorite authors... Uh, Mark Driscoll and uh, Gary Brashears have recently written a book called Vintage Jesus, and it's out on Crossway Books, just came out, and it came out of a culmination of, uh, I believe, a 10-week series uh, that uh, Mark Driscoll did at his church, uh, Mars Hill Church out in Seattle. Uh, The sermon series was actually called the same thing, Vintage Jesus, and the book takes a look at 10 misconceptions that people have about Jesus, and Driscoll and Brashears try to answer some of those questions uh, for their readers, such as, is Jesus the only God? How human was Jesus? Um, How did people know Jesus was coming? Where is Jesus today? Why should we worship Jesus? What makes Jesus superior to other saviors? These are some of the topics that uh, Driscoll and Brashears try to uh, tackle in this book. And if you've grown up in the church, if you've grown up in a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, um, some of it's going to seem kind of... You know, okay, like, everybody should know this. But at the same time, uh, it's good to have the refresher. And for those who aren't believers, this is a this is a great resource for uh, people to go to and get their, their questions answered. I haven't read the book yet, but I really want to because it reaches out to me. You know, my demographic. It seems cool. It makes a lot of pop culture references. And I really like... I don't know why I'm drawn to reading books about the bare essentials of Christianity, but I think they're just as useful for, for me, you know, after four years in Bible college as for someone that's never heard this stuff before. Yeah. We actually interviewed uh, Mark Driscoll and asked him some questions about the book, and uh, you can check that out in print on our uh, website, uh, www.thechristianmanifesto.com. So check out that interview. It's really good. Uh, we actually interviewed the author of this next book, uh, that we're going to be talking about, Beyond Left and Right, Helping Christians Make Sense of American Politics. It's written by Dr. Amy E. Black. Um, she is a, a staff member, associate professor of politics and international relations at Wheaton College, and she's also the president of Christians in Political Science. And this book I thought was really, really good. Um, I was surprised by a lot of what's in it. She spends a great deal of her time kind of talking about American history and how the political system was set up and then how the political system works now. And then she talks about how Christians on both sides of the aisle, whether they're Republican or Democrat, and I know some people believe that you can't be a Christian and be a Republican, and some people believe you can't be a Christian and be a Democrat, because we all have our our pet issues that we want, uh, that we believe that God is solely on the side of. Um, But she uh, talks about how Christians can uh, come to a compromise without compromising their faith in in the process. And she's got a lot of good things to say. Uh, about how Christians can get involved in the political process beyond just complaining that uh, the nation is going to hell in a handbasket. They can get out there and, and 
and uh, become the hands and feet of Jesus in the political arena. And one of the things that I find really interesting is she says that getting involved in the political process, being in the political arena, is a way to serve your neighbor. And I think that it was really cool that she kept everything couched in her religious belief. Because a lot of people will say, you know, you shouldn't talk about two things in, in polite society, religion and politics. Well, in this book, she says, you know, you know, religion talks about your eternal life, politics talks about your temporal life, what else is there to talk about? And so I found this book very, very fascinating. Um, you can actually skip all the way to the end of the book to talk about how Christians can, can be involved in the political process if you already know about uh, how the political process came to be and how the American government works. Uh, but it's a great uh, refresher course for, uh, for everyone else. And uh, it's very timely, because right now we're in the middle of a, you know, a run for the presidency. Well, and that's, like you said, it's timely, especially since the candidates we have right now aren't nearly as cut and dry as far as, like, where they fall on the religious right or left or the, you know, just the society's right or left of things. So I can see how this book would be especially helpful with that. Yeah, it's definitely very good. And this is put out by Baker Books. So uh, go to your local Borders or your Barnes & Noble or whatever the uh, book chain is where you are and, and check that book out. Also, any number of Christian bookstores will be carrying it. Well, that's all we have about books. And uh, we'll be right back. And then we are going to be bringing to you our exclusive interview with Rook Barrett-Smith, Waverly, and last but not least, Pillar. Be right back. Christian Manifesto listeners, we'd like to present to you now our exclusive interview with Brooke Barrett-Smith. She was the opening act for the Pillar for the Love of the Game tour, and we had a wonderful conversation with her. So here goes. We're just sitting down with her right before she went up on stage. Enjoy listening. Uh, tell us a little, a little bit about how you got your start in music. Well, I my parents told me I was born singing, but my dad is my pastor, and so all my life growing up in church, they really encouraged the gift of music that they believe God had given me, and so I can't remember not doing music. I did it my whole life. I grew up in church doing it and in school, and so it's just always been a huge part of who I am. Okay. Um, so tell us a little bit about your new self-titled debut. Uh, what can listeners expect to hear, and who are some of your musical influences? Well, they can expect to hear some rockin' music for <laughs> sure. Um, it's definitely like I told you earlier, you got to turn it up in the car and just rock out and um, a lot of my heart went into this album. It's kind of a, a personal diary of the last few years of my life. Um, and my musical influences uh, are very vast, from U2 to Tracy Bonham to Stephen Curtis Chapman. You know, I'm a guru for the Christian music industry. I'm a huge fan of Christian music, and, um, and I have a lot of influences in Christian and mainstream, so I'm an advocate for both. Okay, cool. Um... American Idol season five. Yeah. We'll talk about this. Yeah. Um, that was probably quite the experience for all of you listeners out there. Uh, Brooke was one of the uh, forty finalists on uh, American Idol season five. What was that like for you? And what was Simon like? <laughs> <laughs> That's a 
question everyone wants Everybody to wants know. to know. <laughs> he is, you know, I think he kind of puts on a persona for TV because mm-hmm. he was so nice to me when we weren't rolling. But actually, he liked me when we were doing American Idol. He was a fan. He said he liked me, and he thought that I should stay. He didn't agree with me going home. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, hey, if I have Simon support, maybe i got something going here. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a crazy experience. It really, God used it to confirm my calling and to give me confidence to pursue music. Cool. Um, so now you're out on the road promoting your upcoming release, yeah. and you're out with Pillar, and you're out with Waverly and Building 429. How has that been, and what's it like being the only girl on the tour? <laughs> and uh, do you feel any pressure to measure up? Because, you know, Pillar's kind of huge, and, and Waverly's kind of huge, and Building 429's kind of huge, and uh, Brooke Barrett-Smith, who? Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> uh, is there any uh, pressure to, to kind of live up to some sort of standard? Well, I mean, I'm definitely the new kid on the block on this tour, which I was very happy because they're all great bands that I've looked up to over the years, and they're, I was very much blessed to have landed on this tour because they're mentoring me and they're bringing me along and I've learned so much from each band so far and they've all kind of taken me under their wing and and shared their wisdom with me spiritually practically musically it's been like the biggest blessing to have this be my first tour I'm unbelievably blessed to be opening for these amazing bands and yeah I felt the first six shows was a whirlwind for me of what am I doing here? I feel like a total nerd. I don't know what I'm doing, but they've all encouraged me. They've all taken me aside and just, you know, kind of breathed some life into me. And, and from there, you know, the rest of the tour has just been great. Just a couple more questions. Um, what have been some of the, you said there's only been a, a few few dates so far on this tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have been some great experiences you've had while on this tour so far? I think the highlight for me has been to be able to spend time with some of these people that I looked up to for all these years. Rob from Pillar, namely, was um, Pillar was a huge influence in my life in deciding to do Christian rock music. And I think they bridged the gap between uh, Christian and mainstream and also not being apologetic for being Christian rock artists. And um, so... Rob, definitely, um, I look up to him. I'm still a little starstruck around him. <laughs> it's funny. like, And he's he's taken time out. Him and his wife have just really encouraged me. And uh, and I still get a little speechless around him. So we're working through that. But the most memorable experiences for me have been the times they've just taken me aside and been like, Brooke, you rock. And just be encouraged. And little constructive criticisms here and there. And they're helping me refine who I am. Cool. Uh, one final question. Look down, the, look down the road five years from now, five, ten years from now. Uh, where do you where do you want to see yourself uh, in in this career? Do you still want to be in this career? I know you're just starting out, um, but like the first six dates, you could be like, I want to be out. I want to be done after this tour. Um, do you, do you want to still be a, a music artist? Do you want to move on? Um, who would be some people you'd want to collaborate in the time that you've uh, that you're uh, you're a music artist? What would you like to see yourself doing? For me? That's a great question. Um, I definitely would love to be around in the Christian music industry for as many years as the Lord allows. And um, I hope over the years that I can continue to reinvent myself. I have a huge heart for worship music, and I lead worship back home at my dad's church. And and, uh, I'm already missing it, you know, having been away from home for so long. Um, But I hope to continue to uh, look to the Lord and reinvent myself musically. And as I grow as a person, as I grow as a woman, that, um, you know, I'll be able to I'll be able to fully develop into, you know, a mature woman of God and, and not always kind of do this, this, the you know, the young rock thing. That's where I'm at right now. Right. But I hope someday to, you know, collaborate with Chris Tomlin and 
uh, Matt Redmond, people I really look up to in the, in the worship industry, and kind of maybe move that way. Oh. Well, thank you very much for the time that you spent with us today. Thank you. You guys are awesome. All right, that was our exclusive interview with Brooke Barrett-Smith. She was a pleasure to uh, speak with, and she's out on the road with her family. She's the only girl on uh, on the tour, and she was just great. We spent a little bit of time after uh, her set just talking a little bit more, and she really is uh, a great young lady. Her music is awesome, so when her album comes out, definitely go out and uh, grab a copy. And next up, our interview with uh, Matt and Dave from Waverly. Matt is the bass player for Waverly, and Dave is the lead singer. And uh, I was... Uh, I didn't. I wasn't really familiar with their music, and I thought their album comes out this June, but it was already out. And so uh, the guys were very forgiving that I don't know their music very well. And hopefully, I will be uh, grabbing a copy of their album very, very soon because the concert that they put on was absolutely phenomenal. So uh, here is our exclusive interview with Dave and Matt from Waverly. Hey, I'm Dave, and I'm the lead singer. I'm Matt. I play bass. Well, sweet. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to just uh, come out here and tell us a little bit about yourself. So why don't we actually start off that way? Tell us a little bit about yourselves and uh, how you guys uh, got your start in music. Well, my dad and my mom are both musicians, along with the rest of my whole family. So that's how I really got my start. Like my dad was a band director, so me and my brother played drums in the band and all kind of stuff like that. So I just grew up, you know, a music lover and. Uh, I still am, so that's how I got my start in it. Okay. I actually didn't really play music until college when I met Dave, and uh, he kind of taught me everything. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, your studio debut is about to come out, Conquering uh, the Fear of Flight, on June 12th on Flickr Records. Um, what should listeners expect to hear on this album? Uh, first off, it already came out in June. <laughs> yeah, it came out last Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm thinking this upcoming June. All right, so it's been out for a while. Uh, that's okay. So it's it's been out for a while. Um, what kind of sound do you guys have? What kind of music do you guys play? Um, a lot of people say it's eclectic. Like we've got a, different, a bunch of different stuff on there. Like, you know, one minute where it's really heavy and really dark, and, and then it goes from there all the way over to really soft and really light, you know, like a, just a love song. And we've got everything in between. Like, we have pop songs on there. We've got, you know, high emotion rock songs. But, you know, overall, like, I guess it's just rock kind of has a dark feel at sometimes and, and it's mysterious at times, you know, stuff like that. Um, do you have a different take on your sound? No, or I, okay. okay. Um, I hear you guys are pretty heavily influenced by C.S. Lewis. It's one of my uh, uh, favorite authors. It's actually, at, at my college, everybody loves C.S. Lewis. We have a, a class surrounding him. There's actually a festival not too far from our college uh, that happens every year that a lot of our students go to. Um, how has that affected your album? Talk about some of the songs that uh, have been directly influenced by C.S. Lewis. Well, um, Dave and I both wrote a book called The Great Divorce, and we wrote, uh, if you're familiar with the book, you know, the character kind of, he gets faced with a choice or whatever, so we kind of wrote two songs on our album that show, you know, either choice that he could have made. Um, a song called Part One being like the, um, the, the choice of if he would have chosen to stay in the world that he was in, you know, and then a song called Endless Day that would have been the choice to to go to the land where the grass sticks through your feet. You know? <laughs> I'm trying not, it's hard not to ruin the book. Yeah. Right. And, uh, yeah. But that, he just, all of that, and then like, we have a few quotes. We have a, a song called Mad Men that's based on a quote out of The Great Divorce. And uh, Dave and I just read a lot, a lot of C.S. Lewis. Dave's written more than me. So, 
They pretty much covered everything, really. <laughs> well, beyond uh, your music, then, how has C.S. Lewis informed your own faith? Um, he's influenced me big time. Like, I never really got into reading until I got out of college on my own. You know, like I had to read in college and high school, but it wasn't a sign you don't want to do it. That teaches how to read in college. Matt, I, I taught Matt how to play bass. He taught me how to read <laughs> when I was twenty. <laughs> no, but uh, I read The Great Divorce, and that really just. Like, I don't know, it changed my, my thought process on a lot of things because it was really, really good fiction, but with a deep spiritual truth. And, like, musically, it affected me to want to make music like that, you know. That's just really the best that we can make it, but has a deep spiritual truth in it. And uh, But then I went along to read The Chronicles of Narnia, and that really just opened my eyes to how, you know, God's character, like, through Aslan and... But then I read New Christianity and just blew my mind, man. I had to read that like sections at a time. Yeah. It's like rereading the same paragraph over and over again, but his mind is so deep and you know, he just thinks something I would never think I'm on, so it helped me out a lot of a walk. So Yeah, um I I spent a summer in New Mexico and the the guy, like my roommate at the camp that I worked at, he read like he's read every one of C. S. Lewis's works. And so, um, he kinda got me into it. So I've read a few books, and it's just, I don't know, you can't even explain. You know, and it's kind of like, like Dave said, when you reread stuff, it's like sometimes you rethink stuff, and you're like, whoa, you know, and then you go back and read it mm-hmm. again. I just read the screw tape letters, and that was really cool. They're making a movie out of that. I, I don't know if you know. Yeah. No. Yeah. And we, we actually heard they were making a movie that was great divorce, and we are going to try to oh, get that cool. stuff track. Yeah, that would be awesome, dude. So yeah, we're, we're big C.S. Lewis fans. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a C.S. Lewis freak. Um, <laughs> uh, if I could have a poster of him on my wall smoking a pipe, that'd be great. Yeah. too. <laughs> so uh, he's influenced you uh, theologically and, and lyrically. Who has influenced you musically? Um, well, me and Matt, when we went to college, we listened to a lot of uh, Reliant K, Blink-182. The lead singer of Reliant K gave me this shirt. Nice. Right, right off his back. <laughs> but... Uh, but you know, going like I majored in music theory and uh, or music ed, my bad. So I took all those music classes and I just branched out a lot musically. Listened to a lot of classical, and uh, then I found a band called Muse. You ever heard of that? Yes, band I have. That dude's a genius, man. Like I like the mix of the classical chord progressions in with rock. So for me, that's what really influences me a lot is Muse and stuff like that. So. Yeah, like he said, we used to listen to a, pop, a lot of pop punk, and I, I don't know just. As you get older, I guess you just listen to more stuff. So I mean, there's tons of people like Thrice. We're we're all really big into Thrice. Yeah. They're so like the way because you know the lead singer is a believer or whatever, and, and the way that his faith comes out in his lyrics. You know, he's not trying to push anything on anyone. It just really makes you think about sharing God's love with people through art. I don't know. It's, it's very inspirational listening to bands like that. Okay. Uh, just a couple more questions. Uh, so you guys are you're out on the road and you're on the the, for the Love of the Game tour with uh, with Pillar and uh, Building 429 and uh, Brooke Barrett Smith, what is life like on the road? Is it tough, or you know, do you miss your families? Is, are your families with you? How, how's that going right now? How do you guys get to church on Sundays? Do you go to church on Sundays? Do you have church in the bus? How, how does that all work? Well, as far as missing the family, we have a family that's in our van right now. <laughs> the Brooke Barrett Smiths are, are riding with us because she's a brand new artist. Okay. So they don't have a van or anything. We're on the same label, so we're kind of helping them out. So that's cool, you know, having them in the van. It's a little, it's a little packed in there, but you know, we're making it fun. But yeah, you know, a lot of times spiritually, 
you go through persecutions just on the road, you know, because the devil wants to keep us from focusing on what our main objective is and stuff. So, yeah, it, it's, it's fun. Sometimes it's hard, but, you know, it's what we love to do, and so we just keep doing it. As far as, far as church goes, sadly, we don't really get a lot of chances to go to church because not being like a tour bus, we have to drive, you know, our van. <laughs> and some, sometimes the drives are just really long, and weekend shows, you know, that's like, yeah. that's that's usually the hardest drives. But um, we all are really like, we really try to, to keep with personal time, you know, with God, like reading our Bible or reading books that are inspiring or whatever. Um, kind of keep it at that level and then we were trying to do like a weekly Bible study but then we I don't know this story has been so hectic sometimes we haven't been able to do that every week this week but we try to just stay accountable with each other and if anybody's going through anything we try to keep it out on the table so we can all pray for each other well, what's cool is you're, you're lately instead of having a, like a day each week that we sit down and read together <clears throat> we're all reading separately but you just listen to the van or conversations and God is brought up all the time just about what we're learning and what we're reading and stuff so it's really cool well thank you guys so much for taking the time to sit down and then share a little bit about your heart and, and where you guys are and what you guys do out here on the road and we will be definitely praying about you and we're looking forward to, to hearing uh, more of your music in the future thanks all right well that was our exclusive interview with matt and dave from waverly they were very very gracious to spend about 10 minutes uh, with us answering some of our candid questions and we really really are praying for them as they're out on the road we hope they get some more chances to just kind of get into the word and to and to get into community and to just worship together um while they're out there on the road we know it's a very very rough go and uh just being in a van and not having the tour bus like pillar has uh can be a little bit difficult out on the road and uh, trying to make ends meet and all that kind of stuff so we are praying for you guys we love you we thank you so much for sitting down and talking with us and last but not least uh we have our exclusive interview with pillar uh these guys were uh they just put on an electric show it was so cool i had so much fun uh, just listening to their music and seeing them uh, just kind of get the crowd into everything that was going on and to get in, get them into their music. And they went through uh, five albums of music, some of their old stuff, some of their new stuff. And it really, really was a killer show at the district venue uh, in Orion, Michigan. But they sat down for about 10, 15 minutes and answered some of our questions. And uh, the guys were just really cool. They're very down to earth. I mean, if you guys are awestruck uh, by people, um, yeah, they're very cool, so you should be awestruck by their music. But they're just... Normal guys who, who were more than willing to sit down and answer some questions for us. So we present to you our final interview, and that interview is with Pillar. Let's just dive right into questions. So your most recent album, For the Love of the Game, is getting a lot of airplay, and it's received quite a bit of media buzz. What do you feel has brought you guys to this point? Good. We haven't quit. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's, that's the nutshell version of it. <laughs> we, we, we haven't quit. This is our fifth record in uh, um, to have a passion and, and a love for what you do um, after doing something that long. Uh, we say every night, you know, from the stage, and we've been talking about this record for the love of the game was our love for what we do. You know, this is our calling, and we love doing it, and probably now more than ever. Um, and I think it's that passion that, that is intriguing people right now. Like, when you hear for the love of the game, it makes you think, oh, those guys love what they do. And I think when you hear the record, you hear that passion that really was in, in us when we Um, how is uh, For the Love of the Game different than uh, Pillar's previous efforts? How do you think your sound has matured? I think it's well evolved. 
uh, well evolved. We have, um, you know, I think some of the earlier stuff was real riffy and kind of, uh, just, you know, it was just real riffy and we don't have guitar work. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's still that way because it's rock, but, but it's like I think we all mesh together more these days, you know. Yeah. And, uh, Go ahead with the friendship. Yeah, it's just more musical. It's not so. We're going to get even all the time, you know. I think that. Uh, a great a great way to kind of put that into perspective is that even though um, you know, this is our fifth record, I think we just now really grasp who we are and what we're called to. Um, instead of having the debate over the years of whether we're you know supposed to be out playing to non-Christian audiences or whether we're supposed to be playing to Christian audiences, whether we're a Christian band or whether we're Christians in a band, or it, instead of like debating all of it and trying to like figure out who we are, I think we finally fell into the mold of Hey Dads. This is who we are. This album, this who Pillar has been trying to be, um, and I think the, a lot of the last efforts are. You go through those seasons of your life, like the reckoning was a little bit darker out for us, for, for what we do. This is just a big, bright, fun rock record that has a lot of passion and energy. And I think that that's who we are. And it just, all the, this seasons of in our past has just brought us to this point. I, not that we've never necessarily grown or matured, it's just we finally have fallen into who Bill really is. Um. Talk a little bit about the tracks uh, Reckless Youth and uh, Smiling Down. What were you aiming at to communicate with these songs? Reckless Youth is... Uh, Which, by the way, is an awesome, awesome song. I thanks. absolutely loved it. We, um, potentially, probably, I'll, I'll go out on a limb here and say it's probably our next rock single. Um, it's looking that way. And ultimately the, I, I read a book by a man named Michael Iaconelli a lot of people know him that he started youth specialties uh, did a lot of very out of the box like churches and very small churches but he was just a very intricate thinker uh, and eccentric personality and his book was called Dangerous Wonders there was a chapter called uh, Reckless Abandon and in that, that particular chapter it was kind of like a challenge to live recklessly it was kind of like instead of thinking about the consequences and then of what might happen to you if you jump off a cliff into the into the lake. He's like, just jump. He's like, worry about the consequences later. And and that was like one of my uh, my thoughts I wanted to get into the song is the definition of reckless that I found that really represents the song was to act with disregard to consequence. It's like if you could live out your faith recklessly with that mentality, so much more would get done in the church. We wouldn't be scared of not only what people think, but scared of offending somebody within the church. It's like you got to do what you're called to do and not be afraid of, of the consequences. And so the challenge is, is laid upon the youth. Are you a reckless youth? Well, that was our interview with uh, Brooke Barrett-Smith and Waverly and Pillar. And that really does conclude our podcast. This is our, you know, thank you so much for listening all the way through or to skipping around or skipping directly to the end. Yeah, see, I'm surprised you got this far. Yeah, I mean, if you were Congratulations. here, thank you. If you were still listening, that is awesome. We really do love you. Um, we've just enjoyed uh, doing this. And again, we do have that contest going on that if you want to name the Christian Manifesto podcast, um, give us an email at thechristianmanifesto at gmail.com or you can uh, comment on the post on www.thechristianmanifesto.com. And uh, we just uh, 
we'll be doing this every few weeks or so. Um, and it'll probably be getting better. Which it'll probably be getting better good. and hopefully shorter. Um, this is just our first time out of the gates. So we hope you guys enjoyed listening, and uh, peace out. Yeah, and we want to leave you guys with a... I, I want to make this a tradition. I want to leave you guys with a song from me. I don't think you should leave them this song. Uh, I want to leave them a song because it seems like every once in a while I discover a Christian song that most people have never heard before, and I discovered a great one this week. So What's it called? It's called Drop Kick Me Jesus. Um, it's from a country artist called Bobby Bear, and it was... Dropkick Me Jesus. Dropkick Me Jesus. It's a it's a modern parable, if you will, um, comparing the Christian life. And I'll be bringing to you, throw me through the table next week, Jesus. It's, 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 not, it's not a kung fu metaphor. It's football. It's Dropkick Me Jesus through the uprights of righteousness. I, <laughs> I, that, that's crazy. All right. Uh, we leave you with the song, Dropkick Me Jesus. See you guys later. Bye. Drop kick me Jesus through the goalposts of life End over in neither left nor right Straight through the heart of them righteous uprights Drop kick me Jesus through the goalposts of life Make me, oh make me Lord more than I am Make me a piece in your master game plan Free from the earthly tempestion below I've got the will, Lord, if you've got the toe Drop kick me, Jesus, through the goalpost of life End over in neither left nor the right Straight through the heart of them righteous uprights Drop kick me, Jesus, through the goalpost of life